Welcome to a brand new episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show. Hello and welcome to The Python Show podcast with Mike Driscoll. Today, I have the honor of having Akshay join me on this podcast. Akshay is a fellow content creator on Twitter. He, he talks about data science, machine learning, and Python. And he also works for the TomTom company. And I just thought it'd be fun to have him on here and we'll just talk about uh, all those different things. So Akshay, why don't you just tell us about yourself and how you got into tech and why you might have ended up using Python? Yeah, so uh, first of all, thank you, Mike, for having me here. Uh, like, like you said that uh, I, uh, I work full time uh, as a lead data scientist at TomTom, and uh, you can say in my free time every day I try to read and write, and then try to share my knowledge on, on Twitter. Uh, so mainly I write mm -hmm. uh, uh, stuff around you can say Python, machine learning, and data science. Uh, so uh, if I talk about like how how I moved into tech uh, or how I started using Python, uh, so it goes back to 2016. Uh, so I started as an intern uh, with here technologies and uh, so I had a background in uh, electrical electronics engineering and mathematics and in 2016 I started as an intern and uh, uh, mm -hmm. there I was fortunate to uh, uh, you know uh, have a great mentor and they had a really cool project uh, they were uh, building something for BMW so here was basically a consortium uh, was owned by a consortium of Audi, BMW, and Daimler, and my internship project was uh, uh, on something that uh, you know uh, it was a computer vision and deep learning based project, and we were building something for uh, for BMW. And finally, what happened was uh, so back then uh, machine learning, deep learning, and all these things were new, right? And mm -hmm. uh, so in 2016, like uh, uh, across the world and especially in India. Uh, there were not a lot of resources to learn about it. So that's where I got some guidance. Like, uh, so I started uh, with this course by Andrew Ang, Ang uh, this machine learning course. So this, this, this is something that I always recommend to someone when he comes to me, like, how do I start with ML? Right? Yeah. So I had, uh, uh, you can say, uh, uh, not a lot, but some knowledge of Python back then as well, like at least to read and write. And mm -hmm. another thing I did was, uh, so there was this course from Stanford by Andre Karpati. So he was the creator of CS231N and uh, uh, back, back then I think he was teaching it as well. So these were the two courses I did. Uh, I had knowledge of Python and fortunately I was fortunate to get a great project. And finally this internship project, uh, I was able to uh, do a patent of, uh, over it as well. And awesome. Yeah, so this is how it ended. and. Uh, yeah, yeah, here we are. Like, this is how I moved into tech world and started my journey. Yeah, so do you have like an educational background in data science or computer science? Or I'm just kind of curious. So, right. Uh, so, uh, so you can say like I, I, I was in my college uh, from 2012 to 2017. And at that time, there were not a lot of, you know, uh, courses with, you know, uh, that uh, the degrees did not have this formal name of like uh, say uh, a master's in data science or something like that. But uh, I, I have a background in mathematics and that is pre pretty much you can say relevant to uh, a lot of mm -hmm. things that we do with machine learning and all. 
but having said that i mean that that is not something uh, you know uh, that's not a necessary condition to move into this field uh, i think uh, today uh, there are a lot of uh, good resources to get started and people like an industry they uh, mainly care about if you have the right set of skills and if you can solve these problems so then they would uh, easily overlook your degrees and all yeah that but, makes uh, sense uh, this relevant background did help me uh, to uh, to get a quick start yeah cool that's amazing because i'm you know I, personally i'd like to get into data science but i don't feel like i have enough mathematical background sometimes to get into the field but anyway that's not here nor there but right, right. <laughs> so but, how do you uh, yeah we can talk about it uh, maybe in some, some of the next questions maybe but yeah yeah, yeah let, let's uh, okay yeah, over to you yeah don't, don't worry about it. Anyway, let's go ahead and move on and talk about how you use Python in data science. I mean, I'm assuming you use Python. Are there any Definitely. other languages besides it? Definitely. So uh, I would say like Python is the language that the entire data science community speaks, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so uh, it has a very, uh, it's a, it, Python has a very large, you can say, community. Uh, people contribute to open source a lot. And there are a lot of open sourced and very famous frameworks like deep learning and ML frameworks, right? So, and uh, I would not say they're written in Python, but I, actually they are Python-based frameworks, right? So people use yeah. them a lot. Yeah. Uh, you might have heard of TensorFlow and PyTorch, right? And then mm -hmm. there, there is a sea of, uh, you know, open source libraries uh, for anything that you want to do in uh, maybe not only machine learning, but anything that you want to do, you would get a library in Python. So, uh, the most yeah. uh, uh, the most powerful aspect of Python is that they have a very large active community. Everyday people contribute to open source, so that is the re reason that I believe that uh, Python is the uh, you can say the language that data science community speaks, and it is going to stay like this for a considerable amount of time. But there are a few uh, uh, few other you can say good languages coming in, and they are trying to give competition. One is Julia, and another one mm -hmm. is like I think. Uh, Mojo uh, Modular uh, uh, is one one thing that I've heard quite a lot uh, recently, but okay. uh, it's very hard to replace Python with anything, given the large amount of community that uh, that it already has. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm I'm always seeing more and more and more you know packages coming out with uh, Python wrappers around them, or they're completely written in Python for data science right, and yeah. machine learning. Although there is a lot that's written in C++ and then wrapped in Python, just so it's fast. Exactly. That's exactly happens. Like uh, a lot of frameworks are written in other languages and then wrapped around, uh, uh, so that people finally can people can interface it using Python. So that's there. Yeah, I think uh, Rust is becoming a a more popular way to get fast yeah. fast exactly. code and more exactly. interoperability. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I miss Rust. Yeah, that's also there. Yeah. Yeah, so I guess I was going to touch on this topic anyway, but in your opinion, could a software developer transition to data science without having to go back to school? Right. Uh, so, you know, so uh, data, no, no, I, I totally uh, get your point. So, okay, cool. Uh, so when, when, when we talk about data science, it's, uh, so it also has a lot of different roles, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so if you want to be, uh, you know, uh, if you want to do proper research, then I would say that, uh, uh, I mean, uh, uh, you can, you can do all, uh, you, basically you can, uh, uh, 
move into any of these roles without having uh, you know a formal degree that is there uh, the only thing that you need yeah. is uh, like uh, you have to be like uh, consistently putting effort and try to learn things say if you want to move into the research role right then you would have to uh, you know grind over everything like you have to learn mathematics statistics then you have to mm-hmm. get uh, very good at uh, you know uh, these ml frameworks and uh, doing coding debugging and you know you have to have all these skills like training models and everything right so that is that but uh, so basically that is uh, uh, usually a research scientist or a data scientist do but apart from that also mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of great roles like uh, and the, the, those roles are you know uh, uh, those skills and those roles are like in very high in demand like a machine learning engineer right or uh, an mlops engineer like uh, so machine learning engineer is someone like who has uh, the knowledge of software development as well as he know uh, like a significant amount of uh, uh, stuff that is related to ml like how do you train models like uh, how how do ml systems behave like uh, yeah. what, what are the important uh, things that one needs to consider when you want to scale it but as the industry is evolving and as the data science and ai field is evolving people have realized that uh, uh, this engineering fundamentals are essential to it and uh, that is why uh, i mean you must have heard of this field machine learning machine learning operations so this is something that mm-hmm. brings uh, brings uh, you know your software engineering fundamentals and your ml knowledge in, uh, under under one umbrella right so yeah, yeah. and uh, this is something that is necessary for you to you know create value out of your ml models or ml products that you build so that you can put uh, you can create a service out of it so that people can use it and it creates value so their software engineering becomes very important so today i yeah. would say like if you are good at at coding and you have a, a strong foundation in software engineering then for you it's very easy today to move into data science that's that's not a big deal and you would be your skill set would be very important yeah. that makes sense yeah i was i have a friend who's in uh, he's a data engineer and he was telling me that you know a lot of people think that to be a data scientist you have to be writing the models yourself No. And he's like most people don't get to write the models. They understand how they work, they understand how to feed them and use them correctly, but they don't actually write like new models exactly. every day. Exactly. That that is absolutely right. I mean, yeah. even if you are capable of writing a new model, uh so when you are uh, when you are working for an enterprise and when, when you you have to solve a certain problem in a given amount of time, if you start writing everything from scratch, you won't be able to achieve your goals. right mm-hmm. so if something why reinvent the wheel right so if something is already available and you know like how it works how do you tweak things uh, what is how does it behave then just use it yeah. right so that's yeah. pretty much same for software development as well and that is same for data science as well yeah yeah i just think it gets an unfair people just think well everyone's inventing all these new machine learning um, no, 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 applications no, so they must be creating all this all these new llms or all these new you know models underneath and it's just not happening that way you know at is no 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 it's not happening like that yeah nobody wants to invent the re- the wheel every time they exactly. want to do something it's right. <laughs> something that you should not do so uh what kind of machine learning do you do personally right so uh so i i, I uh, like i said that uh, i work for a company that uh, uh, builds maps 
right mm-hmm. and we also like uh, uh, provide this adas functionalities right uh, uh, driver assistance system for some you know uh, some advanced vehicles you can say like lane keeping and all so basically we have to build maps and we have to build uh, a very high quality map that is uh, that can that can that is you know uh, at times it is uh, uh, it it has uh, sub meter precision like if we say that something a sign board is present at this location or at this latitude and longitude then we uh, basically guarantee that it you would find it within uh, you can say one meter of what we are saying right so that is what uh, the kind of accuracy that we, that uh, you can say uh, that okay. offer to our customers and since we are talking about making maps so there is a line by tomtom so tomtom uh, uh, i think they have this on their twitter handle as well uh, so uh, it takes a world to map the entire world right so mm-hmm. so everything we do we have to do it at scale right if we build yeah. something we have to run it across states we have to run it across countries and then we have to run it across the entire globe wherever our customer needs the data so and uh, so my role if you would ask me like uh, what i do as a data scientist so the primary uh, basically the uh, the goal that is assigned to a data scientist so everyone does uh, so the ultimate goal is to uh, automate the map making process right so mm-hmm. you have to cover the entire world and you have to make sure that uh, uh, your map is very much fresh right uh, so so people can rely on it uh and for this we use a lot of different sources so we have uh, data coming from uh, images we have uh, so mm-hmm. the images can be your street level imagery that that are taken from you know cameras mounted on a car or some dash cams mm-hmm. and then we have also have data coming from satellite imagery satellite or radio like overhead imagery and yeah. so these are, so when i say imagery uh, so this is one kind of data that is images and then we also get uh, uh a lot of data from gps traces so there are a lot of vendors that provide us with gps traces and so this is the reason so why i'm talking about different sources is because uh, during my time uh, uh, while working uh, in a map making company i had opportunity to work on classical machine learning like tableau data mm-hmm. then i also got opportunity since we were working with images uh, we got this uh, opportunity to work on computer vision as well so that it involves uh, classical cv techniques as well along with mm-hmm. deep and then there are a lot of vendor that provide us so there are two things so you have to uh, uh, so you have to create uh, the entire road network for this world you have to provide all the attributes over it and along with it you you also need to put uh, the information regarding all the places in this world right so yeah. then we also get uh, a lot of text data data in form of text from a lot of vendors so there you also get opportunity to uh, work with uh, natural language processing as well so these are because of the diversity of the problems that we have in map making uh, uh, it is challenging uh, but it also good that you get to work on a diverse set of problems yeah that sounds really cool is there like a particular set of packages like def- uh, open source packages you guys like to use definitely uh, so uh, specific yeah. so, so first i'll talk about the you know mlo deep learning packages so uh, definitely scikit learn is there uh, everyone and we also okay. use it and uh, then uh, i started with tensorflow uh, as a deep learning framework then recently mm-hmm. I, i would not say recently like for uh, uh, two or three years now 
I have moved to Pytorch as well. So I try to use both depending on uh, where I'm getting good model, like uh, uh, good stuff. Uh, wherever I find good stuff, whether it's implemented in TensorFlow or Pytorch, I try to look for that. So these are the two, uh, these are the three main things that I'm using. But apart from that, yeah, for data analysis and analysis and all these things, Pandas is always there. So we use that as well. And uh, yeah, then there are some uh, libraries that are specific to maps. So uh, for uh, instead of using uh, your, your uh, normal pandas, we also use GeoPandas. It offers certain functionality okay. when you are dealing with latitude, longitude, and you know, spherical coordinate system. So that is there. And uh, then there are certain other libraries uh, specific to the GIS domain. So we work with them as well. Yeah, I wondered if you guys used some And everything is GIS in Python. Yeah. And everything yeah. Uh, is in Python. Yeah. Yeah, I used to I used to work for a local government, and they had they were just starting to use Python around some GIS packages. And it was really cool to see, you know, see these uh, closed source programs. They still mm -hmm. had wrappers for Python, so you could still interact with them. Right, right, yeah, yeah. All right, so I was I was just wondering if you could explain uh, LLMs to me in layman's terms because I you know I hear that term all the time and I'm not sure I completely understand it. Okay, okay. So, so I think uh, so. First, uh, I'm not sure if this is the best way to start uh, a, a very basic definition, but uh, yeah. So LLM mm -hmm. stands for a large language model, right? Mm -hmm. So if we try to explain it in very simple terms, you can. Uh, so basically, you can think uh, think of it like a parrot. Right. So we have parrot and we just try to, you know, uh, teach it very simple stuff, right? Like, uh, yeah. uh, like uh, we teach it how to breathe, right? It would, it would again. So when we say hello, it would say hello, right? We have seen this thing. Mm -hmm. Then we can ask its name. Then it will tell us its name, right? So these things yeah. are there. Now think of it like, uh, so if you if you are able to teach this parrot at scale, right? You 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 make it learn everything about all the data that is present on the internet, right? You mm -hmm. get a lot of uh, all the stories or all the knowledge that is present in a lot of books, right? Then you tell it about yes. movies, sports, and everything that has happened, right? And then you, uh, let's say that this parrot is smart enough that it is able to, you know, grasp all the knowledge that we provided it. And then when we uh, try to interact with it, right? And uh, mm -hmm. uh, and it just start, starts talking like a human, right? And it has uh, access to this sea of knowledge. I would not say that it has access to this sea of knowledge, but it somehow has memorized all this uh, all this stuff. Right? It is aware yeah. of everything that has happened, like all the knowledge that we provided it. And on on the basis of that, when we try to ask it questions, it is giving uh, uh, very human like answers, right? So that's mm -hmm. why we call it a language model. So it tries to mimic how how uh, how we humans interact with each other uh, using a language, right? So that is that. Okay. So, uh, so in this analogy, this parrot is a large language model. It's a language model, right? So it's an ML model. Uh, so we call it large because of two reasons: that it has a lot of parameters, like a lot of weights that we need to train. Uh, so basically, okay. weights are a, a bunch of numbers, right? That we somehow tune and uh, uh, and then it is trained on a very large corpus of data set, like the data set at the scale of internet, right? Everything on internet, everything that is there in books. And then there is some proprietary information as well that uh, it is trained on. So basically it, it is a very smart person that knows everything you can say. Okay. 
Interesting. I think that's a pretty good explanation of of how they work. Yeah. Even if they, even though I've noticed that it, while it thinks it knows everything, it's wrong as often as not. It seems like, for, at least with the questions I've been asking it. <laughs> right, right, right. So what happens is like, uh, so, so, uh, so I, I would not want to go into a lot of details, but uh, 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 so you can say, uh, so if you take things down to uh, first principles, so it is, uh, it is sort of you can think of you know. It is trying to predict the next word. So, given a certain mm-hmm. word, certain number of uh, amount of words or certain certain context, it tries to predict that what should come next, right? So, once yeah. it gets the next word, it again uh, includes it into its context, and then on the basis of it, it tries to predict the next word. So, this is what we call as conditional probability. Like, given that B has happened, uh, what is the probability that A would occur, right? Yes. What is the probability that this word is going to be next? So this yeah. is how the language generation process works. Now it is trained on a very, very large amount of data, right? So it gets very mm-hmm. smart at predicting the right word. Yes. Right? So and when when we so let's say when we try to uh, chat with chat, uh, when we try to give it, provide a prompt to chat GPT. So this is basically uh, a context that or you know say uh, a certain condition that is uh, that we are giving it, right? This is our mm-hmm. prompt. And then on the basis of that, it tries to predict what are going to be the next words. And okay. as it generates the next word, it tries to include it into this. And then on the basis of it, again, tries to predict the next word. So it is uh, essentially, it's the next word prediction problem. But somehow, uh, you can say, using certain techniques, like fine tuning and all those things, uh, it is able to do it in a very good manner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, you definitely get impressive results with it and if you once you've learned how to ask it a question you can get really good results exactly but yeah. you know it just takes practice it takes practice yeah so you know I, I see you're always posting about llms and related technologies could you give some practical examples to our to our listeners of how you might use an llm yeah, right right so uh so if uh, I think uh, I don't need to tell anyone like uh, what chat GPT is, right? And what what kind of stuff it can do. Like we already uh, mm-hmm. uh, discussed that uh, a language model uh, is a very smart person, you can say, and it is aware mm-hmm. of everything uh, that it, that it that it, it has been uh, that has been told to it, right? That it has been trained yeah. on. So yeah. uh, uh, whether you are a software engineer, whether you are a writer or whether you are, uh, say, a product guy, uh, everyone can use it, right? Uh, so you can use mm-hmm. it as an assistant, you can use it uh, as sort of uh, a pair programmer, you can say, right? So uh, uh, so apart from writing, uh, I think the, the coders can use uh, use it to write a lot of boilerplate stuff, right? So instead of writing yeah. from around, so that can be done. And like you said, that if you get smart at conditioning it, right? If you get smart at prompting it, then it is a very very good tool to learn about something new right you just start with a very basic question okay this is something that i want to learn about right uh, yes. then, uh, and then uh, then you can ask it okay so it would uh, first it will try to give a very basic definition you know then you can ask it okay what are the main components say uh, say i want to learn about language it is something very famous maybe we can talk about it later as well so then yeah. you can first it will tell us that what exactly is language right then we can ask it what are different modules in language right then it will respond mm-hmm. to the modules 
and give a brief description of each each of them then you can, I can then we can ask it to go into detail of the things so this is how if you if you get smart at prompting it or conditioning it then llm can be uh, uh, a very good tool uh, to learn something new so that is there yeah yeah i've I keep seeing these new uses for it. I, I really like the idea of you have like taking a picture of your of what's in your fr- refrigerator and having it come up with recipes for you. Right, um, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> that is. Also, know, I, I think that that is something that uh, I saw. But uh, uh, so, if since you have brought up this question, uh, so uh, I would say in near future, like uh, the LLMs put uh, like the chat GPT and all these things. Are going to get multimodal. When I say multimodal, it means that as of now, uh, the input that you are giving to Chat GPT or this language model are in, are in form of text, right? So mm-hmm. tomorrow, uh, there are going to be uh, you know uh, APIs or you know there are going to be ways that you can give it text and you can also give it image. Like you you can just uh, click a photo from the refrigerator and provide it to Chat GPT, right? And it would yeah. come up with a lot of recipes. So that is certainly doable. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a friend of mine is a marketer, and he was using it to do like analysis of his competitors, for example, and giving him ideas, you know, for like uh, ad- advertising campaign. And you know, from a technical standpoint, I'm I'm like using it to help me learn like Pandas or PyTorch or you know whatever. But marketers are using it for completely different stuff that I don't even think about. And okay. businessmen are using it for lots of different topics. So it's just really cool to see. A wide variety of use cases uh, for LLMs. Yeah. That, that's true. Anyway, and, uh, I would like to uh, add one more thing. Like uh, in beginning, sure. when we started with like uh, if someone who has uh, a background in uh, software engineering, right, and particularly mm-hmm. in Python, can he move to machine learning? Uh, can he can he move to the sphere of ML and AI? So, mm-hmm. uh, so if uh, if someone starts today, right? So I would suggest them that, uh, so if they already know Python, then I would suggest them then they, they should learn LangChain, right? So LangChain mm-hmm. is something that I'm currently exploring and every time uh, when I work with, uh, it just fascinates me. So basically uh, the last language models today, since they are very large, right? And uh, so it's not possible uh, to, you know, train them or do inference over them on consumer hardwares, right? our uh, yes. local machines and all so we cannot run it here so right now all the large language models be it uh, gpt4 uh, from openai or be it bard from google right google bard is also mm-hmm. there so yep. all these things are developed by large enterprises with, who have a lot of money and and uh, access to a lot of data and now they provide uh, now we can access these the capabilities of these large models using apis right so if you know mm-hmm. python and if you know how to call an API, like how, how, how exactly you can programmatically interact with that, that's easy, right? That's not a big deal. Now yes. you can think of, uh, so when it comes to building large uh, uh, AI application that involves LLMs, so LangChain is the go-to tool for it. Now you can think of it as an orchestration tool for uh, building uh, a LLM-based system, right? So it okay. provides a very easy interface to all these models, right? So I would definitely mm-hmm. suggest you to check it out. And then after that, it has uh, certain other capabilities. So we call it LangChain because, uh, so if you have a very complex task and if you know that you can break it into multiple subtasks, then you can chain them together. 
So first you uh, okay. break it down to task one and let the LLM solve it. Then the uh, output of task one is fed to task two. Then again, the LLM solves mm. it. So Langchain help you to chain it up, right? A complex task yeah. like broken down into multiple simpler tasks. And another thing it has is uh, it, uh, we call it agents, right? So these agents are, you can say uh, some a very smart, you can say a human-like agent sitting at the middle of these tasks. And on the basis of what what is the output of a particular task, on the basis of that, the agent can decide that how exactly do I need to start the next task in the chain, right? Yeah. So that's a very smart element that is added to it. So yeah. uh, that makes this, uh, you know, uh, this framework very powerful and I, I really like it. So if someone uh, who has gone as a Python and uh, uh, he's a software developer, I would definitely, uh, you know, recommend them to uh, uh, try this out. Yeah, that's really cool. I de- I'm, I'm interested, so I'll have to, I'll have to yeah, look that up. Yeah, you can definitely check it out. Cool. So let's uh, change the subject really quick before we wrap up, and uh, sure. uh, we'll talk about about your Twitter experience because you know you're like one of my friends on Twitter, and we started like hanging out, we started like chit chatting, I think about a year ago, and I you know we've just talked back and forth, that's, and I've noticed you've been, yeah, you've been re- growing really really fast, and I'm just curious, you know, as another, as other, you know, there's lots of content uh, creators out there, and I'm sure. They're like, how do I grow fast like like I do or like you do? I just wonder if you could share any of your strategies. True, true. Yeah. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, I'm not sure that uh, I would be able to, uh, there is a secret to it or I would be able to list something new. But before that, like I would, uh, like I would, uh, I'm really grateful that uh, uh, that you helped me kickstart this journey. I started by answering uh, mm-hmm. uh, those quiz of yours. Uh, so again, you are one of my favorite content creators. Like yes. when I started, I tried to follow you. Then there is Santiago. So I tried to, you know, uh, before jumping into, st- uh, you know, starting to create content in, on my own, I I was an active consumer. So I tried to follow yes. good people on Twitter. I tried to see like uh, what exactly, uh, so what kind of content do they create? Like why is it different and why why does it create value? So it's not mm-hmm. like we are inventing something new, but the idea is to, how do you present it in in an engaging manner, right? So yes. the attention span is very, uh, very small, right? So my idea is always uh, say, if I want to talk about something, uh, so there are two things. We can go with very simple post and then we can talk about uh, something complicated, uh, you know, something uh, you can say, which is not so simple and we try to write threads mm-hmm. about it. So my idea is always to make sure that if something takes like 10 minutes to read in a blog, can I shorten it and put it into a thread? Because I know the attention yes. span on Twitter is less. So can I somehow make it uh, small and still cover everything and help people mm-hmm. understand it? And so that people can do uh, uh, understand it in only in like two to three minutes, right? So yes. this is something that I keep in mind. Like if if I can bring down uh, it under the attention span of the user on Twitter. So that is yeah. one idea. And another thing that I do is I try to start early. So uh, to to create good content, uh, I think you uh, you should also you know uh, uh, before writing you should also do a lot of reading as well. 
right? Yep. So yep, definitely. That, that is also very important. Uh, something that has helped me. And uh, yeah, so th- these are the two things that I really like. And yeah, if you if you really work hard, if you like, uh, 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 I mean, if if you have a certain interest in a domain and then you put a lot of efforts into creating content uh, about it like mm-hmm. uh, thinking from from the perspective of a user that you have to simplify his life you have to make his life easier and you then uh, th- uh, taking those things in mind if you try to put your efforts and try to create content then it yes. is highly likely that it, it does good yes i think i think just from watching what you were doing and from what my own experience has been the the key takeaways are um, be consistent, you know. That post, is true, definitely. Post, yeah, try to post every day or, you know, maybe pick pick how, pick whatever it is. So maybe it's three days a week, but I always do three days a week and around yeah. the same time. Right. And right. find a niche or a niche, you know. Um, if I talked about Python and Rust and JavaScript and C++ and, all, you know, every language under the sun, I don't think I'd be as popular as definitely. if I focused on just definitely. one language. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, find, finding the, those are like the two key things. And then, of course, interacting with uh, people who are other people, other content creators on Twitter. That yeah. has helped me a lot. Yeah. You know, I learn a lot from you. I learn a lot from Rodrigo and Santiago. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I see what works for them and what doesn't work for them. And, you know, then I can try it out and see, you know, is my audience slightly different or not? You know, just stuff like that. And you just learn a lot from, from all these other people. Right, right, right. And also, one one more thing I wanted to mention, like, uh, 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 you should not fall prey to, uh, you know, these sometimes uh, a certain kind of content goes viral. And then mm-hmm. you as a content creator, uh, uh, I'm not sure if I should use the word greedy, but people get greedy and then uh, out of nowhere, this, 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 uh, they just change their niche, right? They were earlier like talking mm-hmm. about core Python, machine learning, and all, and suddenly they start talking about AI tools, right? So this is something yes. that uh, that is not sustainable, and uh, I would not encourage anyone who is starting out their journey. Like, uh, so you should stick to what you know and uh, try to uh, try to stand out, try to basically create a unique identity for yourself. So that is important. Yeah, and probably the other thing I would mention would be. Um... Not just stick with what you know, but also talk about like like the new upcoming packages that are coming out. Like the new, a lot of people are interested when something brand new comes out, is it good or is it bad? You can go find out for them and tell them, you know, well, this is my experience with it. I, I, I guess, hated I it or I loved it. Yeah. You know. So I, I I get that a lot of lot from your tweets. Uh, so uh, and it helps us a lot. Like whenever something new comes in and all. So that is there. Yeah. yeah. So this and uh, this is the kind of thing that people like a lot as well. So that is a yeah. good suggestion. Great. Well, anyway, I just wanted to thank you so much for coming on my show, Akshay, and I, I hope you enjoyed your, your time here and maybe I, we can hang out again sometime in the future. Definitely looking forward to uh, Morse's talks and uh, podcast. And uh, I too had a really great time and uh, yeah, learning a lot from you. Thank you so yeah, much. Thanks. All right, well, we'll wrap up the show, and I hope you you all will come back and join me again uh, at my next episode.
hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Mike Driscoll, The Python Show.